What's up, Salt Company? How are we doing tonight? Yeah, okay, thank you. There we go. Are you guys ready for your second sermon tonight, considering Ryan, like, practically already gave one? He's such a bad man. He's a bad man. Uh, my name is Mikey Stewart. I direct the freshman ministry here. <laughs> and... Uh, I love working with freshmen. You guys are the best. Freshman retreat is coming up, just like Ryan said. So if you're not signed up for that, uh, get signed up for that because it's going to be a blast. Um, let's see. What do we got? A little bit about myself. First thing, another jab at Ryan. I don't yell as much as he does. Have you noticed when he preaches, basically all he does is yell? Anybody? Yes? Yeah. Like I said, he's a bad man. Uh, my sermons are a little more structured than his. I, I really like structure, so there's going to be a lot of one, two, three points, and four things, whatever. Um, so I hope you guys can get used to that. Uh, I love CrossFit. <laughs> Come on. Boo! What the heck is that? I love CrossFit. I've been doing CrossFit for a few years now. I'm part of a great gym uh, here called CrossFit Kilo 2. So if you want to get converted after the service, you can come talk to me after that. Uh, I'm kidding. Come on. Uh, I have 19 tattoos, I think. Um, and all but six of them were done in my friend's kitchen. So I get a lot of kitchen tattoos. Exactly what it sounds like. We just do tattoos like in my friend's kitchen. So um, highly recommend that. I spent my first two years of college at University of Northern Iowa. It was fine. I enjoyed it. But then I finally came to my senses and came to the greatest city in America. I genuinely think Iowa City. Yeah, give it up. I genuinely think <laughs> Iowa City is the greatest city in America. I love it deeply. Uh, one of my greatest passions is uh, I want to see the kingdom of God come to this city. So uh, I, one of the ways I'm doing that is I obviously am working for SALT. This is my second year working for SALT, and I love it. Uh, and it's an honor to bring the word to you tonight, as always. So tonight we're going to be talking about the family to belong to. So if you're taking notes, that's the title, the family to belong to. So I'm going to give you a little, uh, just low down on my family. Carly, could you throw that picture up there? That's my family. It rocks. I love them to death. I'm just going to go left to right. That guy's Luke. He's in the room somewhere. Um, he's a bad man, just like Ryan. Uh, let's see. So Luke last year was a freshman, and he his second semester, you know, enrolled in a full course load, all that stuff, went to uh, one class. And I don't mean like he like regularly went to one class. Like I'm, I'm, I'm talking about he went to one class period last year. So, you know, paid for the whole semester, just went to one class. Uh, super smart guy. So if you're looking to go that route, go talk to him. Um, those are my parents. Uh, they were high school sweethearts. They are the coolest, most godly parents ever. Uh, love them to death. My mom teaches at Des Moines Christian. My dad does something with business. I don't know. He's super smart. He's always working on the next business. Uh, that's my sister, Lily. She's Korean. We adopted her from Korea. Uh, she's incredible. Love her to death. She loves Calvin Klein and Pinterest. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Griffin, the one in the middle, I think he might be on steroids. I asked him, but he says no, but I still don't believe him. Also, this morning, he got what do you say, elected to homecoming court, which makes me, I'm not kidding, the only Stewart brother to not make homecoming court. So I'm not like mad or anything. It's fine. Uh, then we got Riley. Riley is the, the next youngest behind me. Uh, he goes to Iowa State. He's a senior this year, getting married in June. Uh, one time when we were younger, we used to fight a lot, and he was angry at me and grabbed a brick 
and threw it at my face. Uh, but luckily, I, I dodged it a little bit, and it only like cut my earlobe. But I had a scab on my earlobe for like a year because I kept picking at it. So, <laughs> thanks to Riley. And then, last but not least, the best person I know, Jenny Stewart, my lovely wife. Come on, yes, give it up. Uh, love her to death. We dated for three months, and I knew what I wanted. So, boom. <laughs> Bought the ring after two months. I'm crazy. Okay. She's awesome. Love her to death. Uh, and when, we're, when it comes to families, you can take that down. Thanks, Carly. When it comes to families, you just saw a picture of mine. It's great. I love it. It's unique. But truly, I guarantee you, there is not another family in the world that's just like mine. There are no two families alike. They come in all different kinds and types and shapes and sizes with whatever, all their quirks and perks. Families are different. Some of you guys in this room have been very, very blessed by the family that God put you in. Like your parents are still together and they love the Lord and they brought you to church while you're growing up, whatever. You have been blessed by the family that God put you in. Some of you guys have not had that luxury. Your family's been traumatic to you. Like maybe your dad left. It's, it hurt you. Your, your family was not a blessing to you. It actually feels like a curse. If that's true of you tonight, I want to say, first of all, I'm very, very sorry for that. And as I was thinking about this, I was wondering, why do families, why are they so influential in our lives and impactful? Like, they dominate a lot of your mind space. They influence a lot of your decisions, the way you feel on a day-to-day -day basis. Why does your family have such a hold on your life? Here's what I think it is. The need to belong to a functional, a functioning family has been ingrained in every single one of us. We desperately, we deeply feel the need to belong to a functioning family. We fight hard for this community. I'm going to be using those words on and off. Community, family, I'm talking about the same thing. And I want to prove it to you. One of the ways that we know that a longing for community has been placed inside of us is by the pain we feel when we feel like we don't belong. So, for example, I don't even remember what Ryan said, but last week he talked about, you know, what if I have a birthday party and nobody shows up, right? That's a goofy example, but it's so true. If you were that kid where you had a birthday party, you invited all your friends, nobody showed up, that hurt you bad. You feel that. Even like now, you invite your friends to come over and nobody wants to come over. For some reason, it hurts you because you feel like you don't belong. That's what it is. When you break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, it hurts you. You feel a lot of pain. Why is that? Because you don't belong with them anymore. Like that relationship has been severed. Or let's talk worst case scenario. Your parents are getting a divorce. You feel like you're dying, like your insides are just being ripped apart. Why is that? It hurts. Because families and communities are not supposed to be broken. They're supposed to be together. And the pain we feel when those things are not functioning just points us to the fact that you actually really deeply want to belong. Or how about uh, the communities that we put ourselves in? So, for example, I'm going to bring it up again. CrossFit. I love CrossFit. Anybody who walks in the doors of my CrossFit gym automatically feels welcomed. Somebody's introducing themselves to them. Uh, everybody had to start at some point, 
right? Nobody's like walking in like this unique position. No, everybody's just at the same level. You experience the same things with them. So they, they walk in and you work out together. You, you help them with their lift or whatever. You sweat hard. You smack hands. You do it all over again the next day. You're experiencing the same thing. That's like the secret sauce of CrossFit, okay? CrossFit is not still around because it's like the best way to work out. I think it is. But the reason it's still around is because it's done a very good job of creating effective communities. Creating families within their gyms. How about fraternities and sororities? I, I Forgive my ignorance, because I honestly have no idea even, <laughs> like, really what they are. But from what I know, from what I know, people join a fraternity or a sorority because they want to be with other people. Bottom line. You're, you're sharing experiences. You're hanging out. You're partying sometimes. You're studying the same things. I don't know. But people join those because it's a group of people that they belong to. Or how about the bars? Like, why are the bars so packed out in Iowa City on the weekends? It's not because the alcohol is the best there or it's the only place they can get it. No, you can, you can get that anywhere. The reason that the bars are successful is because when everybody's there and they're getting drunk and the music's loud and whatever, it's dark, you're experiencing the same thing. You feel like you like belong there. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing or slamming any of these things, Okay. Like I said, I really enjoy CrossFit. It's been a great blessing in my life. Some of the best friends that I have, I've met in a CrossFit gym. I'm not slamming any of these things. I'm just trying to show you and expose, like, this longing that's inside of us. And tonight, I want to talk about the perfect family. The family of God. The family, the perfect family that you can actually belong to tonight. So in order to do that, we're going to talk about four what questions. The four what questions are going to be what happened, what resulted, so what, and what do we do. So we're going to talk about what happened first. Here at Saul Company, we preach out of the Bible. So if you got your Bible, you can bust it out. If not, turn on your phone or whatever. We're going to be looking in Acts chapter 2, uh, and I'm going to be reading from the CSB version. It's the Christian Standard Bible. Let's do this. Acts chapter 2. Verse 36, this is Peter talking. He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. All right, you can stop there. So, we're talking about what happened. Real quick flyover. Last week, Ryan talked about Genesis 3. Sin entered the world and screwed everything up. God gave us a specific command, don't eat from that tree. Humans did it anyway. So from here on out, the world has been cursed with sin. The perfect was ruined. And it was messed up for thousands of years. It's still messed up to this day. Unjust rulers, evil, hatred, murder, injustice, whatever. You think the world's bad now? It's, it's been bad for a long time. And God's chosen people, the Jews, were awaiting this promised Messiah that God said, I'm going to give you this Messiah, this deliverer, he's going to rule in peace. They were waiting for him to come and make everything right. 
Well, in steps a man named Jesus Christ. This guy claimed to be fully God and fully man at the same time. And in his life, he never sinned. He never committed a crime. He never hurt anybody. He was never unjust. In fact, he was perfect in every single way you could imagine. Because he was God. And he came to the Jews, his own people, and he challenged them. And he challenged their religion, uh, the things that they believed, the way that they lived. And he said some radical things like, You've heard it said... Do not commit adultery, which they would have been, you know, familiar with. They were, uh, they were religious people. And he's like, you've heard it said, this, this, and that. And they're like, yeah, yeah. He's like, but I tell you, you should not even look at a woman with lust for you're committing adultery with her in your heart. So this guy comes in and he's like changing their religion. He's like changing the way that they live. He's healing people from their diseases and from their sickness He's, he's telling them, hey, I forgive you of your sins. I don't know if you're putting this together, but he's claiming a big time authority just on life. No man comes around and does that. It's just like, oh yeah, that's just a normal guy. No, this was not a normal guy. He was claiming a big time authority. So the Jews, God's chosen people, they hated him. And they hated him so much that they would end up murdering him on the cross. But he didn't just die on the cross because they were jealous and they didn't like him. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of every single person who would put their faith in him. He died for the sins of you and me. He was put in a tomb and three days later as the the Roman guards were watching this tomb day and night, he rose from the dead and he goes out and meets his friends in person, like in flesh. You can still see like the scars on his body and everything. And in person, he convinces them. He's like, hey guys, I told you I was going to rise again. Here I am. You can see the holes in my hands, the scar on my head, whatever. And, and he's convincing them. And these guys' lives, the, the apostles, the first members of the early church, the first family, their lives were changed forever. Forever. And now, in our story, in Acts chapter 2, Peter, the same man who denied Jesus three times, remember that? In all four Gospels, it talks about how Jesus denied Peter. Like, uh, Jesus is getting uh, betrayed in the garden, and, and Peter's like warming himself by the fire, and this little servant girl's like, hey, aren't you friends with him? He's like... Three times he denies Jesus. He's a coward. And now the coward, look at him. What's he doing? He's preaching to the Jews who just murdered Jesus and telling them, his blood is on your hands. That doesn't sound like a coward to me. So that's the scene we're at. So that's what happened. Second question, what resulted? So Jesus came to earth. He lived. He was murdered. He was resurrected. And now let's pick back up in verse 41. Acts 2, 41. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So, 
this early church uh, back in chapter 1, I think it's verse 15, um, the church, it says the church numbered 120 people. So they started with 120 people, and in one day, 3,000 people were added to the church and were baptized. That's a pretty big increase. That's a miracle, I'd say. That 3,000 people, the people who just were chanting, crucify him, and ended up killing Jesus, are now part of this church family. This is a picture of the truest family you will ever find. They held everything together, it says. They did everything together. They sharpened each other. They were committed to each other and serving one another exactly the way Jesus told them to when he was on earth. They uh, like practiced these spiritual disciplines together. So they're committing themselves to the apostles' teaching, meaning they're, they're reading from God's word and, the, and they're learning from it. They're in fellowship with one another. They're, just, they're sharing everything. They broke bread, meaning they're, they're remembering the, the death of Christ and they're just eating meals together. And then they're praying together. They're selling, this family is selling all of their property, which is like pretty valuable. And they're just like, all right, here's all this money. I'm giving it to that guy. They're just giving their money away to each other. Whoever has a need, they're just giving it away. They're joyful. They're happy. They're laughing. They're praising God, and God's blessing it. The, the church is growing. In fact, this church is so nearly perfect that in Acts chapter 5, if you, on your own time, read this story of Ananias and Sapphira. These two guys come up. Well, it's a, it's a married couple. They come up, and uh, he sells his property, just like everybody else was doing, and he gives the money to Peter, but he only gives Peter like half the money. He doesn't give him all of it. And he's like, here's all the money from the, the property I just sold. And Peter's like, are you lying? He's like, no. He drops dead. I'm not kidding. Like, the Spirit of God kills this guy because he, he's like, hey, I want to get in on this fun and this perfect family. I'm going to do what they're doing. But he lies. He like brings in his sin and he dies. That's how crazy this family is. They were loving and looking out for one another like a real family should. Like we all hope our families do. And the sharing that they were doing, it's not, you might be like, hey, that kind of sounds like socialist stuff. It's not. Socialism would say, what's yours is mine. This is Christian. They're saying, whatever is mine is yours. Oh, that's crazy. But the craziest part to me is that it says, everyone was filled with awe. Meaning they like kind of feared them. They like revered them. They saw that this group of people was legit. And when it says everyone, it's talking about those outside of the apostles in the early church. So these are like people who don't believe in Jesus. They're looking in and they are shocked at what they're seeing. They're seeing a real family for the first time ever. A true, thriving family. I think if we saw this family today, if, if it was in front of us right now, we would be even more shaken up. Because our culture, America, Iowa City, what's it all about? Me. It's all about me, my freedoms, my individuality. Don't tell me what to do. That's not how this, this family was operating. So what resulted? God is growing the church and outsiders are fearing them and favoring them. They want to get in. 
So that's what resulted. So, so what? Here's our third question. So what? What do we learn from this? This is going to be kind of heavy. The first thing we learn is that we want to belong to the perfect family more than anything. The unity and the love and the generosity that this family shared is truly to be desired above anything else. Like I think if you could take a very non-biased look and you could have anything that you wanted, you would want this family. More than any freedom, uh, job, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, the fame, this is actually what you want. What your soul wants you to have is some sort of belonging like this. No one's left behind. There's no injustice. There's no inequality, no power, no politics, just love. Just acceptance, selflessness, giving, not taking. Everybody has hope. Everybody is excited about their lives. Everybody has a purpose. There's blessing. If I could be a little crazy now, I think we would kill for those types of things. Like that family, we want it. But there's bad news. Pretty significant bad news. That if that family was before us tonight, and you saw it, and you wanted it more than anything, you know what would happen. We'd, we'd either get kicked out, or we would die. Because we don't deserve to be a part of that family. As harsh as it is, you know it's true, like, you don't belong there. The baggage that we bring in would actually make us want to leave. We actually probably wouldn't want to be a part of it because we'd feel like phonies. I'm a proud man. More proud than I'd like to admit. Like, that's sin in my life. And if I was in that family, it would get me kicked out so fast. What is it for you? What is the thing that they would look at you and say, nope, get out. Is it lust, greed, selfishness? I don't know. Honestly, it doesn't even matter because here's the point. There's a bar to get into that perfect family. There's a level you have to be at. None of us meet it. Harsh as it is, as much as it sucks, we know it's true. None of us meet it. But, but there's good news. The best news in the entire world. If those first two things are true, that we want to belong, but we don't get in, the best possible news in the whole world, what is it? The family still exists, and you can be part of it. You can enter this family, and if your faith is in Jesus Christ, let me tell you, you're already in the family. Is that good news? Does anybody care? Amen? Amen. That's good news that you can enter into this family. The second you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're no longer an outsider looking in, hoping you could get in. You're part of the family. You're a brother. You're a sister. The wrath of God that was against you is no longer on you. It's diverted away from you. You are a beloved child. You're his delight now. He looks at you. He's not angry. He doesn't say, get out of this family. He's like, I'm so glad you're here. He's so glad you're here. You're not an enemy of God if your faith is in Jesus Christ, but a child of God. Is that good news? Amen? 
If you have faith in Jesus, you're not just on good terms. He doesn't just look at you and he's like, yeah, whatever, get in my family. No. He's glad you're there. You're a child of God, born again into this new family. His most prized possession. A.W. Tozer says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'm going to say that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And one of those things at the top of your list, maybe the thing at the top should be that God is your father. Many of you don't know what it's like to have a good father. And I am sorry, but honestly, that's okay. Because what really matters in the end is whether or not God, the creator of the universe, the creator of your soul, he knows every single part of you, is your father. Earthly fathers will fail, 100%, every time. They're going to forget, they'll neglect, whatever. They'll hurt you. Not the creator of your soul. Like I said, it doesn't mean he just accepts you. It doesn't mean that he accepts you in your family and that he just like doesn't care about you. No. He's a good father, meaning that he disciplines his children. He teaches them, helps them to grow up, encourages them, tells them he loves them. Believe it or not, a good father also says things like, don't do that, do this. So if God's your father and you feel him start pushing against your buttons and he's like, hey man, think you need to change this about your life. That's what a good father does. So the so what has massive implications for your life. The so what means the family is still open and available to join. And for those who are in, the children of God, our father is coming to get us soon. There will come a day when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth and all those who believe in him will be caught up in heaven forevermore. So if you're asking, what do we do? Good question. You're in good company because Peter's audience was asking the same exact thing. What do we do? Last what question. First thing that Peter tells them is he says, repent and be baptized. So I got married last August. It was a blast. Uh, Carly, can you throw up that first picture of the wedding? <laughs> That's what it's like to have a wedding. It's fun. You're with your family. You party. You go to the next one. Yeah! I don't know what I'm doing. I, I just saw that picture for the first time today. Uh, Luke's down there. That guy's really sweaty. No idea who that guy is. We're having fun. We're enjoying it. We're eating. We're drinking. We're, we're dancing with each other. I want you to, to imagine this. Jenny and I are planning our wedding uh, for months. And the big day finally gets here. Me and my brother, as we go disc golfing to kind of just stay busy, take our minds off it. Uh, and the girls are getting ready. Uh, Carly, can go to the next picture. We start putting on our suits, all that stuff. We're getting ready. There's Ryan. He did the wedding. Um, you can go to the next one. Jenny's getting in her dress, her mom's there, all her bridesmaids are getting in their dress, all that good stuff. Um, next picture. Guests start to arrive. I'm seating Jenny's mom, all the, all the guests are there. Um, next picture. <laughs> Jenny and I do the whole praying thing around the corner. <laughs> you know? We didn't see each other, don't worry. But we did pray. Doesn't she look good? Come on. Um, so the guests are seated. So then I'm standing there with Ryan. And we're waiting, right? 
I don't know why that's so funny. I don't know why people are laughing so much. <laughs> but I'm waiting there. I'm a little nervous. All my boys are up there with me. Jenny starts walking down the aisle. Her dad's crying. He's a goober. Love him. And I see Jenny. <laughs> Next picture. <laughs> yep, I did the whole cry, th obviously. Ryan looks great. <laughs> Ryan looks awesome. I'm crying like a little baby. Next one. She's stunning. I'm looking at her. I, I love her so much. Can't wait to marry. Can't wait to party with our friends afterwards. Uh, Ryan's preaching. We give our vows. Uh, it's time to do the rings. So I reach over. My brother gives me the rings. All right, and you can, you can take those down. Thanks, Carly. And um, I put the ring on Jenny's finger, and then Ryan's like, all right, Jenny, you know, the way we symbolize love is through a ring. It's circle, infinity, whatever. Uh, you can put it on, you can put it on Mikey's hand. And imagine this. I just go, oh, whoa. The ring? R Ryan's like, dude, what are you doing? And I'm like, ah, I don't know about that ring, man. He's like, dude, what's up? <laughs> He's like, this is what happens when you get married, dude. You just, you just wear the ring. We talked about this. We did the dress rehearsal, all that stuff. And I'm like, all right, come on, Ryan. But is that really what makes you married, the ring? Come on. Do I really got to wear that? He's like, I mean, no, but this is just what you do. If you get married, you symbolize your marriage and your love with a ring. Can you imagine if I just go, nah, I don't want that. I don't want that. Be weird. The whole mood of the wedding would literally change. I mean, Jenny and the bridal party, everybody in the audience would be like, what's going on? Is he getting cold feet? Like, does he actually love her? What, seriously, what's, what's happening? It's a lot different. The, the party afterwards would be a lot different than if I just put the ring on my finger and then we just partied afterwards and had great and celebrated this new life. Baptism is the same way. You, imagine going through the whole process. You like hear about Jesus for the first time and what he did for you. And you, you think about it, you analyze it, you start reading the Bible for yourself, thinking about the words that he's saying. You, you actually repent of your sins. You turn away and you put your faith in Jesus. You give your life to him. You're like, yep, I'm done doing this myself. I trust you. But you don't symbolize your faith with baptism you might be missing the point a little bit. You might just be missing it just a little bit. You're still, if, you, if you go through the whole process and you become a Christian, but you don't get baptized, you're still a Christian the same way I'm still married if I take off my wedding ring, right? 100%. If I take this off, I'm still married. If you don't get baptized, yeah, you're still a Christian. But the pattern you see throughout Scripture, everywhere, People say, what do we do? I want to put my faith in Jesus. You repent of your sins, you turn away from your sins, and you get baptized. It's just showing the death, burial, and resurrection that you have in Christ. That's exactly what Peter tells these people. So I want to challenge you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, show the world by getting baptized. Put some action to your faith. October 6th, if you're wondering, is when we're doing baptisms. That's less than a month away. You can sign up on Veritas' website. We would love to party with you. I mean, baptism is just a celebration. It's a party. Same way wedding, you're celebrating this new life together. Baptism, you're celebrating this new spiritual life. 
put some action to your faith. I'd love to see just an army of salt students getting baptized and proving their faith in Jesus. Next thing you do, uh, asking the question, what do we do? You just be a good sibling. If you're in the family of God and you're asking, what do I do? You be a good sibling. How do you do that? How do you build up your family and not tear it down? How do you be a blessing to them? Number one, be generous to them. Just like these guys were. Being generous is actually a pretty big deal. And I'm not just talking about money. Don't get me wrong. I'm talking about money. But I'm talking about your things, your time, your plans, your living space. Be generous. Give your money back to God by giving to the church. Have you ever given money to your friends just for fun? (laughs) Probably not because it's kind of weird. But why is it weird? That's what these guys are doing. They're literally selling their property, giving the proceeds to their friends because that's what siblings do. I'm going to challenge you. Next time you're at your friend's house, (laughs) put 20 bucks in their sock drawer or something. Just leave it. Or leave it in their car next time they give you a ride or something. I don't know. Be generous with your friends. If you do, you'll start to, you'll feel this weird thing inside of you like, you know, you drop 20 bucks in your friend's sock drawer, you're going to walk away being like, man, that that like kind of felt good. There's a reason. You're supposed to be generous to your siblings. Next thing. Practice spiritual disciplines. You can practice these, I'm talking with yourself, with those around you, whatever. Just never stop growing and training yourself on how to be a productive Christian. Read your Bible. It's simple. Read the words that Jesus said and that God spoke through these people. Memorize scripture. Write it in your heart. Take it with you wherever you go. Pray by yourself and with your friends. Just do it. These are just spiritual disciplines that the church has been doing for thousands of years. Other things like fasting, like holding yourself away from food to show that your dependence is on God alone and replacing that time with prayer. I'm not saying these things, practicing these spiritual disciplines, are going to make you righteous. They are 100% not going to make you righteous. They're not going to earn you favor with God, but they are a good thing that siblings do to build up one another. The last thing that we see when uh, these people ask Peter, what do we do? You praise God and be joyful. Praise God and be joyful. John Piper says that God is most glorified, or God is most glorified when you are most satisfied in him. You want to give God more glory? Enjoy him more. Do things that help you enjoy God. You are actually made for joy, for pleasure, for enjoyment in God. So do the things that stir that up in you, whatever it may be. Like, for me, I'm not telling you to do this, but for me, it's like, I love waking up early, sitting outside, watching the sunrise, reading the Bible, and reminding myself of the gospel. It stirs me to joy. Puts a smile on my face. Starts my day off well. Get this, go figure. I love going to CrossFit with my friends. It stirs joy in me. I enjoy it. I love, I golfed yesterday. Walked nine holes. It was beautiful weather. Loved it. Enjoyed God. He got glory from me enjoying him. Whatever it may be, do things that stir your joy for him. I don't know about you guys. I am pumped up to be a part of this family. 
the family of God that he so graciously invited me into. I love being a part of something bigger than myself that really, really, truly matters. I love the family of God, and I want you to know, if you're not a part of it, you can be a part of it tonight. You can join into this family by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. If that's something you haven't done, talk to somebody around you. They would love to talk to you about it. I love you guys. I love my brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ loves you. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> <laughs> Heavenly Father, it is, it is such a privilege, uh, such an honor to be able to approach you as our Father. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for the family that you have created. That this whole thing called life that we're trying to figure out together, you, you design that and you tell us, hey, be in community with one another. Look out for one another. Pray for one another. Love one another. God, this has been your plan for a long time. Thank you for inviting us into it. I pray Father, that if there are people in here who are feeling their souls stirred to this, they feel like, man, I got to get in the family of God. Lord, take them over the edge. Just take them there. Give them faith, Lord. Give them boldness to step out and talk about these things. Thank you for the Salt Company, Lord, that is meeting all across the United States right now, Lord. We do not deserve to take part in a family as good as this. We do not deserve a father as good as you are. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Father. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.